Sunday, Real Life Church. Is anybody glad to be in church this morning? Come on, make some noise if you're glad to be here. <laughs> Nothing like being in church on a Sunday morning. Welcome to our online audience. Thanks so much for being here with us today. And, and we are going to be continuing in our Jonah message series and really uh, beginning to come to the conclusion of it as we've worked our way through um, this entire book of the Bible. And if you were with us last week or if you didn't get a chance to be with us last week, Pastor Joel finished out chapter 3. Um, of the book of Jonah, and really it was kind of this culmination point um, of the whole book, the whole story of Jonah, where the, we, we learned how the people of Nineveh repented, and they cried out for mercy to God, and they asked for, uh, th- they begged for his forgiveness, and, and God relented of destroying them, and he saved, and the whole city of Nineveh was saved, and it was this woohoo, let's cheer, let's praise, like big moment where everything was great, right? And honestly, uh, it would have been a great place to end the book of Jonah, right? Like it, everything worked out perfectly, God's will was done, the evil city of Nineveh was saved, let's go on to the next book, right? But that's not the case. Uh, Did you know there's actually another chapter in Jonah? And today we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. And and honestly, I think we need to start with the question of why is chapter 4 there? Uh, It's it's a great foundational moment for us today before we jump in and just say, what's the point of it? Wasn't God's will done? Didn't Jonah learn from his mistakes and end up going and, and delivering God's message and the people responded and wasn't, wasn't that it? I mean, Jonah, even though he was a little bit reluctant in the beginning, isn't he the hero prophet now who carried out God's will and we celebrate with the city of Nineveh? Isn't that it? Why do we need another chapter? Like, God, what else do you have uh, in this book for us? And I think that's a great uh, place to start this morning. Why is it there? Why is chapter four there? What is it that, what else does God want to share with us through the book of Jonah. Why didn't we just wrap this thing up last week? Let's look at together at Jonah chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be looking at just the first few verses. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. City of Nineveh has been saved. Everyone has repented. What happens next? This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. The change of plans was God relenting of destroying Nineveh. And it upset Jonah. He became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. In other words, he prayed, right? (laughs) How many of us, uh, our prayers are complaining to the Lord? And This is what he said. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. You're slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied to him and asked this question, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry about this? God wasn't done with this story. He wasn't done with the story of Jonah. He had something else that he needed to address. There was something else that he wanted to focus on. And now that the, the issue of wicked Nineveh has been uh, taken care of, has been addressed, um, that they have uh, repented, that mercy has been poured out, and salvation has been given, he has relented, there's still another story, there's still another issue that God wants to deal with before we close the page 
on this book of Jonah. And, and that is this. Uh, God wanted to address what was going on in Jonah's heart. He wanted to look at what was happening in Jonah's heart. You see, God cared about more than just the people of Nineveh. Yes, he cared about them. But he also cared about Jonah, too. Jonah was not just some tool, some instrument that God used to, to deliver a message and then cast him aside. No. He cared about how all of this was happening to Jonah. He cared about uh, what all this was doing inside of Jonah. He was concerned with how Jonah was responding to all of this. And as we just read, Jonah wasn't responding very well. You would, you would think that a prophet of God would be pumped up about his message being delivered and the people responding. But that's not what Jonah gave us in chapter 4. And so God wanted to, to, to take a moment and say, what's going on here, Jonah? Let's talk about this. Why is it right? Let's check on your heart today, Jonah. Is it right that you should be angry like this? Jonah's response to this was full of just selfishness and self-pity and, and self-righteousness even. And God wanted to do something about it. And why, why is that? Why, why is God so concerned with Jonah in this moment? I, I think that, like, like sh should Nineveh uh, repenting have been enough, you know, for, for God in that moment? Why is it that he's concerned about furthering this with Jonah? I think we get a little clue of this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Check out this verse. This is when Samuel um, is anointing David uh, as the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel um, chapter 16. We have that verse up here. Here we go. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. See, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. God's not concerned with what's going on on the outside of us. On the outside, Jonah finally went to Nineveh. He preached the message. It was effective. But God was concerned about more than that. He's worried about Jonah's heart. And, and I love the fact that Jesus spoke to this all the time. You remember in the Gospels, when, especially when he was talking to the Pharisees, he, he compared them to whitewashed tombs one time. He said, on the outside, everything looks great. You're doing everything you're supposed to. But on the inside, you're full of death and decay. He, he compared them to, to a dirty bowl that on the outside had been washed and clean, but nothing had been done on the inside. And it was dirty and it was contaminated. Something was wrong on the inside. This is what God is concerned with. He's concerned with our heart. He's concerned with Jonah's heart. And so chapter 4, here's the, here's the kind of picture that I got. Why is chapter 4 there? Chapter 4 is a mirror that's being held up in front of Jonah's face to show him the reflection of the condition of his heart. And in the same way, chapter 4 is there for you and me all these years later as a mirror to, ask, to, to, to make us ask the question, what's the condition on the inside? What's the condition of my heart? Because as much as it pains me to admit, there's a lot of times where my heart looks like Jonah's. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's some heart issues that were going on. And chapter 4 shows us several of those. God wanted to address them before he finished out this story. So today what I want you to do with me is we're going to have a little bit of a heart checkup time. All right, We're going to look at our own hearts. We're going to learn from Jonah and see if we can relate to any of the things that are going on inside of him. I've pulled out three different heart issues that we see just in those first few verses of chapter 4 that are going on with Jonah. I want you to look at them with me today. If you're taking notes, you can write down these issues. The first one is this. Number one, the first heart issue Jonah had was he had a heart that was just full of anger. 
had a heart that was full of anger. Remember what he said? This, this change uh, uh, of circumstances, God changing his heart on this and relenting of destruction, it said that it made Jonah very upset and he was filled with anger. He, he had a heart that was just full of anger. Um, and, and it brings us to this question that I think Jonah was asking. What do we do when God doesn't work the way that we want him to? Our, our, how about this? What do we do when God wants to help someone that we don't like? Or what do we do when God wants to help someone that we don't think deserves to be helped? It's an age-old question with an age-old problem at its core, and that is this. It's hard to love our enemies. Amen? It's just, it's just hard. It's just hard. That's why Jesus talked about it all the time and challenged us with, us, challenged us with it all the time. It's hard to do that. And these people were an enemy to Jonah. He did not think that they deserved mercy. He did not think that they deserved to be saved. He did not like them. He didn't want God to save them. He wanted God to pour out his destruction and his wrath on Nineveh. And I couldn't help, as I was reading about this and thinking about this this week, I couldn't help but think about this as even a little bit of a commentary to a forward and to the future into our culture today, this idea of this cancel culture that we live in, that it's not enough. We, we can't just disagree with each other anymore. That's not enough. No, if you, the culture we live in today says, if you disagree with me, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to go out and have a mission to destroy you. You cannot think differently from me. You can't believe differently from me. You can't disagree with me because I'm coming after you if you do. And it's, this, it's just this toxic world that we live in, right? And we all see it. We all see it. You can't disagree. I want you destroyed if you're not the same as me. And it's a dangerous place to be with a heart full of bitterness and anger towards that. I want you to notice something uh, that I thought was kind of cool. This is a little, uh, little bit of a Bible nerd moment here. But in the book of Jonah, you know, it's a short book. There's, there's, a, there's not a whole lot that you have to read through. Um, but notice what we read in those first few verses was a prayer of Jonah. He was praying and expressing his anger to God. Did you know that this, remember, this is not the first prayer that we've seen of Jonah in the book of Jonah. Remember way back in chapter 2, from the belly of the fish, he prayed his first prayer. There's two prayers that are given to us in the book of Jonah. And the literary design of the book is such that we should be able to see these two prayers of Jonah. One happens right before he goes into Nineveh. One happens right after he delivers the message to Nineveh. There's, it's bookended by these two prayers of Jonah. And they're given to us so we can do a little comparison and, and then contrast what's happening in Jonah's heart during this prayer. Remember back in chapter 2, that first prayer from the belly of the fish, Jonah is praying for salvation. He's praying that God would save him, would have mercy on him. And, and then his heart turns to gratitude and he thanks God for remembering him and hearing his cry. And, and he even recommits to all of the promises that he made to God as a prophet of God. And, and this prayer is just full of uh, uh, begging for mercy and then thanking God for saving him. That's the chapter 2 prayer. But then right on the other side of his interaction with Nineveh, we get a second prayer that we just read this morning. And look at the difference between it. This should have been a triumph moment. This should have been the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of praise. God, you are mighty. God, you are awesome. Look what you did. You turned the hearts of an entire city. That's not what Jonah prayed, though. No, instead it was full of bitterness and anger. In the first prayer, he was asking God to save him. In the second prayer, when God did the exact same thing for the Ninevites, he was angry about it. 
He, he went so far, just taking it to extremes because he had allowed the bitterness and anger to grow in his heart. He went so far that in the first prayer, he was asking God to save him. In the second prayer, he was asking God to kill him, to take his own life. He couldn't bear the thoughts of living in the world where him and the Ninevites had something in common. He, he said, God, if you're not going to kill them, then just kill me because I can't deal with this. I, they don't, I'm angry about this. I'm bitter. They do not deserve it. He would rather die than see his enemies be saved and forgiven. In the first prayer, when mercy was poured out to him, his response was gratitude. In his second prayer, when mercy was poured out on people he didn't like, his response was bitterness and anger. He had a heart that was full of anger, and God wanted to do something about it. Here's the second issue that we see in those first few verses. Number two, he had a heart of disobedience. A heart of disobedience. And, and now let me ask the question, did Jonah go to Nineveh, and did he deliver the message that God had asked him to? Yes, eventually, right? Like, yes, he did. And so if he did, if he ended up eventually doing what God had asked him to do, then what's the issue with it? Why, why is that, like, why would God not be okay with that? And, and, and here's the thing, God ended up having a, an issue with um, the way that Jonah obeyed him. Because Jonah sort of obeyed, right? But God said, there's something we need to address in this because it's not just enough to just do what I asked you. I'm concerned about the way in which you're doing it. Because here's what I've learned about how God sees obedience. That, that godly obedience is, is a three-part thing. There, there's three elements to it. Godly obedience is when we obey right away, obey all the way, and obey the right way. Did Jonah obey right away? <laughs> nope, absolutely not, right? He ran to Tarshish. He tried to run away from God. Did Jonah obey all the way? Well, maybe. It kind of seems like to me he, he, he pulled back on the message a little bit, right? An eight-word sermon. I don't know if that's all that God had for the people of Nineveh, but hey, that's just my, that's just my judgment there. I don't know. But did he obey the right way? I think God didn't think so. And that's why chapter four is there. It says, Jonah, listen, that there's something we got to talk about. There's something we got to look at here. You can do what was asked of you without actually obeying. Because when we obey and the godly obedience is done the right way, all the way, and right away. And parents, you know what I'm talking about here with this. Like, uh, my wife, Beck, and I, we have three little ones of our own. And, and you know what I mean by this, right? Like, your kids can, can obey without actually obeying like this, right? Like, so, so my kids, went, maybe there's a, I walk into a room, there's a bunch of toys on the floor, and this, this uh, scenario is gonna become familiar for a lot of you in this room today, but there's a bunch of toys on the floor, and maybe my son is there, and, and I, so I walk in, and I ask him, son, I need you to pick those toys up and put them away, put them back in the toy box. And so I walk away, I walk out of the room, and come back a few minutes later, what happens? Toys are still there. And so I ask him again, son, I need you to put these toys, put them away, put them back in the toy box. I walk away, I do something else, come back a minute or two later, still nothing happened. Now I'm getting upset, right? Now I'm getting, now I'm getting angry. So I, I, I say it one more time, hey, right now, right now, I need you to pick up those toys and put them away. And what happens in that moment? Now the excuses start to come, right? Well, they're, they're not my, those aren't my toys, 
I didn't ask you if those were your toys. I asked you to pick them up and put them on. Well, I didn't get them out in the first place. My sister did that. Well, I didn't ask you if you were the one who got them out. I'm asking you to put them back in the toy box. And then, and then maybe, maybe at that point, he finally does what I've asked him to do. But how does he do it? You know, he stomps over there and he's all, picks it up and he throws the toy in the toy box, right? And, and now we're all just upset. And, and did he do what I asked him to do? Yeah, the toys ended up off the floor and back into the box. But am I okay with how it happened? Absolutely not. And, and you know why? Because he, he didn't obey right away. He didn't obey all the way. He didn't obey the right way. And, and, here's, and here's the point, guys, is uh, if I was concerned, if my main concern was getting the toys off the floor back into the box, I could have just done it myself. But I, I'm concerned about more than that. I'm concerned about the condition of my son's heart in that moment. I'm concerned with him beginning to learn and understand how to, uh, how to be thankful for and respect and take care of the, the, the home and the things that God has blessed us with. I'm concerned with him learning the value of serving someone else, even when it's not yours, but doing something for someone else just to serve them. I'm concerned with the condition of his heart and how that's developing. That's why I'm asking for the obedience. And that's what God was asking for from Jonah, and that's what he was concerned with. And, and here's the last thing, uh, the last couple of things I'll say about the obedience portion. It, it, here's what I found out, that delayed obedience to God is still disobedience. And that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. And, and not just delayed obedience, but also disgruntled obedience. In God's eyes, that's still disobedience. You didn't do the things that I asked you right away. You didn't do them with the right kind of heart, that's what he's concerned with. It's not just about accomplishing a task. It's about the motives and the condition of our heart. Ephesians 6 verse 6 says it this way. Um, As slaves of Christ, do the will of God, but do it with the right kind of heart. Do it with all that you have. Do it with all of your heart. That's what God's concerned with. It's more than a task. It was more than a task for Jonah. It was about the motive and intentions of his heart. Our motive matters to God. And Jonah had a heart that was full of disobedience to God's calling. And here's the third uh, and the last heart issue that, that we'll look at this morning. But not only did he have a heart that was full of anger and a heart that, would di- that was disobedient, but number three, Jonah had a heart that was just, it was just far from God's character. It, it, it looked the complete opposite of who God is and who God was. The character was just at polar opposite ends of, of the spectrum. And um, I love that in verse 2 that we read, that Jonah, in his prayer, in his complaining, in his anger, he actually uh, calls out the character of God. And this is where some of that, some of that satire and some of the, the irony that we talked about that, that's found in the book of Jonah, this is where some of that comes out because, I mean, how silly is it that he's complaining and he's blaming God and calling him out for being true to who he is. Like he's, he's mad at God for staying true to his character and he's calling him out on it and he gives this description. And the description that Jonah uses of God's character, uh, that, that he's merciful and compassionate and that he's slow to anger, that may sound familiar to some of us and that's because we've seen it in our Bibles before. And again, I, I want you to go somewhere with me uh, for just a moment. You can uh, stick a bookmark in Jonah chapter 4 and flip back to Exodus chapter 34. Because Jonah's pulling this description of God's character directly 
from somewhere else. And in Exodus chapter 34 is where uh, uh, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. The, the people of Israel have been led out of Egypt. They've received the Ten Commandments. They're in the process of establishing this covenant with their God. And, and, and Moses is up on the, on the mountain, and, and he's hearing from God, and he's doing all these amazing things. And, and God decides to reveal his presence and his glory and himself to Moses in a real way. And, 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 and as he passes by, it says that his glory and his presence passes by Moses. And in that moment, God speaks to him. Exodus 34, verse 6. God speaks to Moses, and this is what he says. He says, I'm going to tell you about who I am. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, this is what the Lord said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. These are the characteristics that God chose to speak about himself when he revealed that to Moses. And this is significant because it's the first time in our Bibles that the character and the nature of God is described by God himself. In other words, so earlier in the Bible, some other people will talk about some of the characteristics of God. But this is the first time that God speaks up and describes his own character. In other words, these are the, these are the important things that God wanted Moses and his people to understand about who he was and how he operated. And look at what he decided to describe. Compassion and mercy and gracious and, and slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin. This was the message. This was the portrait of God's character that God himself paints. It's important for us. And it's picked up all over the Bible and all throughout, especially the Old Testament. In fact, a little fun fact for you, that passage of Scripture, the Exodus 34, 6 and 7, that description of God that he gives, it's the most quoted verse of the Bible in the Bible, if that makes sense. So, so all throughout the rest of the Bible, prophets and, and, and leaders, and they're pulling and they're quoting that to remind themselves and, and, and the people around them of who God is. Something like 29 different times it's quoted again in the Bible. This is God's character. It is who he is, and Jonah knew it. Like, he, he knew this. It was part of his prayer. He pointed to it. In fact, I love the little nugget he gives us there in, in chapter 4. That was the reason, this, the character of God knowing that, was the reason that Jonah ran in the first place, way back in chapter 1. If you'll notice, we're, we're not given a reason why he runs away when God puts this calling on his life. We can speculate and we can wonder. Maybe he's afraid of being harmed by the Ninevites. Maybe he's afraid of being ineffective as a prophet that they won't listen to him. But Jonah himself gives us the answer now in chapter 4. We finally get an answer. And he said, it's not because he was afraid of being hurt. It's not because he was afraid of being ineffective. No, he was afraid of being effective. Like he was afraid that the people of Nineveh would actually listen to him. And he knew, he knew who God was. He knew what God was all about. And he was afraid that the people, when the people of Nineveh are going to listen to me, they're going to ask for forgiveness, and God, God's going to give it to them. And I don't want that to happen. That's what I'm afraid of, and so that's why I'm running. That's why I don't want to go. See, the issue was that Jonah knew God's character. He, he knew about it. He knew God's character in his head, but he had not allowed God's character and that knowledge of it to get down into his heart and begin to transform the way that he sees people and begin to transform his own character. He had head knowledge, but he had not allowed that head knowledge to become heart transformation. 
And it was, it was an issue. His character was, was just far off from God. Jonah had this heart full of anger, bitterness, disobedience, far from God's character. He didn't like, let's just, let's just point it out for what it is. He didn't like how God was treating people that he didn't like. He, he didn't like that God w- w- was quick to forgive and relent of destroying these people who were his enemy. That he, uh, he hated the idea of God forgiving people who he thought were undeserving of mercy. These people were the worst. They had hurt people. They were not interested in following God. They were far from him. And Jonah didn't like it. And yet God was ready to meet them. God was ready to forgive them. He was ready to give mercy to them. And Jonah was just having a tough time with this. And as I read about and studied this this week, I, I kept having a thought, how often do I find myself and how often do we find ourselves with the same kind of thoughts? That that, that person who hurt me or hurt my family, I don't want them forgiven. I don't want them to receive mercy. I want them to be punished. They don't deserve to be loved. They don't deserve to get off. They, they deserve to be punished. They deserve judgment. That person who's different from me, that person who hates everybody, that person who disagrees with everyone, and not just that, but who attacks people for not agreeing with them, that person who is so against everything that's in my life, they don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve God's love because they don't even want God's love. I don't, so why should they get it? They deserve judgment and punishment. And I find myself and maybe you do as well, staring in that mirror and seeing some of these same issues in my own heart, bitterness, anger, not wanting to do what God's called me to do. And, and so I wanted to, to finish out our time today by, by just giving us a few reminders of what do we do when that happens? What do I do when I look in the mirror and I'm seeing the same kind of heart issues that were in Jonah in my own life? How do I respond? What does God want me to do? And I'm going to give you three things that you can do. But, and listen, th- no, there's nothing groundbreaking about these things. Th- th- they're things that we all probably know and have heard that we should do. But it's a good reminder today of what, how we can help turn the condition of our hearts. What do we do when we recognize some of these same heart issues in ourselves? The first thing that we got to do and, and the, the place that we have to start is this. Number one, we got to remember God's grace in our own lives. Like when I find myself angry and bitter at somebody else that because, because God's working in their life and not in my, well, I got to remember how he's poured out his grace in my own life. How quick and easy it is to forget this. I mean, just look at Jonah. We talked about it. From chapter 2 to chapter 4, he forgot all about it. In chapter 2, he was thanking God for his mercy and his grace. In chapter 4, he was angry that he would give that to somebody else. How quickly we can forget where we were without God. And where we would be without him saving us. How easy it is to forget how Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. But while we were still sinners, Romans 5 says, Christ died for us there. He poured out his grace for us in that moment. And it's easy to look at somebody else's life and to, especially an enemy or someone who has wronged us or hurt us, it's easy to look at them and and think of them as worse than us or think of them as undeserving of mercy or what they did was worse than something that I've done and so they don't deserve this they should be punished and they should be judged but but I would challenge all of us today when that happens to remember those famous words of Jesus in in the sermon on the mount where he challenged that 
and, and what he, he leveled the playing field of sin in our lives. And, and, and he said, uh, you've, heard, you've heard it said, do not murder. Remember what he said? But, but I say, the one who has anger in their hearts is already guilty of that. Hey, hey, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at someone with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their heart. Jesus reminded us in that moment, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. I'm leveling the playing field here. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. And all of us need his grace and his mercy. And it's not, it's not up to us to compare and, and, and decide that what somebody else did was so bad that it's undeserving of mercy. Because we're all undeserving of it. That's why it's mercy. He pours it out on our life. Honestly, what it is, is it's a moment of humility when we remember that. It's a moment where, where, where we allow the selfishness and the self-righteousness the anger to fade away, and we remember who we are and how God has saved us. And that's where we have to start. We've got to remember God's grace in our own life. The second thing we can do when we start to notice these heart issues in our own lives, number two, we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And, and I'll, I'll um, edit this to say we need to ask to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we have the benefit now of being on the other side of the cross and having the Holy Spirit with us and within us. And, and what he wants to do is he wants to transform our lives. It's not just about praying a prayer and getting saved and, and, and staying out of hell and going to heaven. No, it, it's a, God wants to transform our lives to look more and more like him. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says it this way. It says, therefore, be like God. <laughs> Be imitators of God. Do what God does. You, you, your life should begin to transform as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So we should begin to look more like Jesus. We should begin to look more like God and do the things that God does. Our character should begin to look more like God's character that's full of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And, 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 and this is not a... Um, this is not an overnight thing. This is not a flip the switch and all of a sudden I'm, I've been transformed. No, it's a process. And, and the, the church word for it is sanctification. And, you know, it, it's going to take some time that, that God wants to get those old things out of you. And he wants to get some new things in you. And 2 Corinthians uh, describes it as going from glory to glory to glory. One step at a time, I'm becoming more and more and more like Jesus. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and transform my life and produce a new kind of fruit so that instead of anger and bitterness, there's love and joy and forgiveness and all those, all those things. But it's something that we have to ask for and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And here's the last one. What do we do when we notice these hard issues in our life? We remember God's grace. We ask the Holy Spirit to transform us. And then number three... We've got to learn to see people the way that God sees them. We've got to learn to look at that person who's our enemy and look at that person who hates us or who wronged us or maybe even hurt us and not see that, not see the offense, but instead see them the way that God sees them. See them through the lens that God sees them through. through I, I'll do this a, a lot of times when, uh, when I'm working with our, our young people or, or even just getting ready for a Sunday morning. I'll pray the prayer and I'll say, God, as people walk through those doors, uh, maybe as I'm walking or going about town today, would you help me, would you give me your eyes to see them the way that you see them? Not the way that I see them, not the outward appearance that I can judge on so, so often and so quickly, 
Would you allow me to see them the way that you see them? And the condition of, of Jonah's heart and his response when the people of Nineveh repented and were forgiven, that, that it reminds me of another story in the Bible that Jesus told. In Luke chapter 15, we find the parable of the prodigal son. It's one that's probably familiar to a lot of us in this room and watching online. And where Jesus tells the story, you, you probably know it. He tells the story of a wayward son who asked for his inheritance from his father and he goes out and, and he spends it all and squanders it away and, and promiscuous living and, 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 and just, just lives as, as a fool and doing evil and full of sin and he ruins his life before he finally repents and comes back home to his father's house. And when he comes home, I love how some of the translations even say when he finally came to his senses and he came home, he's welcomed by his father, not with judgment, but with open arms, with abounding love, with forgiveness, and with celebration. But do you remember this morning that there is another character in this parable? It's kind of thrown in there at the end that a lot of times we forget about. Let's look at it together, Luke chapter 15. This is at the end of this parable of the prodigal son. It says, meanwhile, the older son, he had an older brother, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this day and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Did you notice some similarities there between the brother and Jonah? He, he, he was angry. He refused to go in and join the celebration. He was selfish and, and self-righteous. He thought his brother deserved punishment, not celebration. He, he was angry at the forgiveness and the mercy that was shown by his father. Sound like anybody else we've read about this morning? And here's why. It's because that brother, he, he didn't see his brother the same way that the father saw him. When he looked at his brother, he saw a fool, a disobedient son, a sinner, someone who wasted his life and, and quite honestly, deserved what he was getting, and then some. That's not how the father saw him. Notice how the father described the prodigal son. He didn't use any of those words. Instead, all he saw was someone who was dead, and now he's alive. Someone who was lost, but now he's found. That's what's important. That's what the Father was focused on. We have to learn to see people this way because that's how God sees them. Lost, who need to be found. Dead people, who need to be brought back to life. And this is the challenge of Jonah chapter 4. I think about Jesus' words to, to love your enemies, to do good to those who hurt you, to pray for those who persecute you. It's not easy, but it's the challenge to see them not as the one who hurts you, to see them not as the one who disagrees with you, to see them not as the one who hates you, but to see them as the one who is lost and needs to be found, the one who is dead and needs to be alive. Can, can we allow God to take the bitterness and the anger out of our heart, transform our character, 
and in its place, fill it with love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, self-control, the kind of fruit that he has for us. That's the challenge today. That's the mirror that's being held up in front of us. And that's what God is asking us to do, just like he was with Jonah. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to pray with us as we close out this moment together. And we talked about how, how God wants to transform our heart. He wants to, he wants to change it. He wants to, uh, he wants to make our character more like his. And can I just tell you, in this room today, the only way that's possible is because of Jesus. And, and, and we talked about how we need to remember the grace that he's poured out in our life. We need to remember what Jesus did for us. That's why we took communion today, to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross because it all starts there. That's the foundation of all of this. And if you're in this room or you're watching online today and you don't know what it, what it means, you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus, to be in a relationship with your heavenly Father, to receive his forgiveness that he wants to give to everyone. And I want to help you do that. The Bible says that God's not trying to make it difficult. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus, believe what he did, believe who he said he was, and and then make him the Lord of our life. Confess him as Lord of our life today. And if you, need, if you need to start there today, if you need to receive his forgiveness and his mercy first so that then you can go out and show it to somebody else, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But, but before I do that, I, I want you to let me know that that's you today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front or anything like that. Nobody's looking around. But if that's you today, if you need to give your life to Jesus and receive his mercy and forgiveness for the first time, then on the count of three, I want you to just slip your hand up in the air. Just slip it up and slip it right back down. Say, count me in on that prayer. You ready? Here's your chance. One, two, three. Anybody in this room? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You can slip it up, slip it right back down. All right, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, if you raise your hand, I want you to say this prayer. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. But, but again, God's concerned on what's happening inside of you right now. So However you say it, mean it with all of your heart. Say this, say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and taking my place. I believe that you died, that you were buried in a tomb, but on that third day, you rose again so that I could have new life. I'll say this, say, today, I surrender my life to you. I give you the controls. Forgive me for living my way and help me to live the life that you have called me to live. Thank you, God, for saving me and making me new. In Jesus' name. Now, Heavenly Father, you saw the hands that went up and the hearts that were turning to you today, and we celebrate with them, Father. And I, God, I, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit this week to challenge and convict and, and also to encourage all of us to live out the heart transformation that you have for us. To deal with the anger and the bitterness that's there and, to, and, and to, to replace it with your character, with love and mercy and forgiveness. Would you help us to be more like you this week? Would you take us from one glory to the next this week, Jesus? We can't do it without you. We need you and we ask you for it. And help us, God, to take this message to the world around us, to love those who are enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, 
to do good to those who disagree with us and who are different than us. And in doing so, to spread the message of your gospel, the kingdom to the world around us. We love you. We praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together and just celebrate those who made that decision today?